Hello and welcome to Safer Stronger Kids, the podcast. I'm Caroline Ellen. I'm a social worker and parenting coach. My goal in my business and in this podcast is to help you raise kind, resilient young people. And it's to walk alongside you on your journey towards safer, stronger parenting. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to another episode of Safer Stronger Kids, the podcast. It is lovely to be back and talking to you again today. In today's episode, I wanted to talk about the big drop-off. So in our last episode, we talked about preparing for school or kinder transition. This week, I want to talk about on the actual day, what can we do to help help our kids navigate the big moment where they need to let go of us and make their way into either kinder or those first early years of primary school. Now, before I get started, I'm going to clarify. I'm in Victoria in Australia. When I say kinder and prep, what I am referring to is for us kinder, there is three-year-old kinder and four-year-old kinder. So those are normally community-run centres or else it's incorporated into long daycare centres. And they go for, I think it's about six hours a week when they're three across usually two sessions. Then at four, they attend for, I think, 15 hours a week across three, normally three days. Some centres offer the possibility to extend longer on that. Um, And then for us, kids then transition into what we would call prep or foundation. Normally they're five years old when they enter that and that's when they entering into that environment with big kids as well. So it's prep right through to grade six usually. So that is what I am talking about today, those kinder kids and the prep kids, that moment of letting go and needing to make their way into those environments. So now this is a big step. This is a big step for kids to take. And often when when I look at advice that's given about these moments, the advice can act as if there's a one size fits all approach. The advice is very specific it'll tell you to not to linger too long it'll usually say to just say goodbye to your child and they'll settle down faster when you are gone and that's pretty much the advice that's given (laughs) I want to dispel that myth it is a myth if we are believing that there is a one-size-all approach in this that is a myth all of our kids are different and they need different responses to this transition process which is a significant one in their lives we've already done it we know that they're going to be okay but they don't know that so we need to be willing to adapt to their individual needs now that can be a challenge because in these kinds of institutions they're not always built for adapting to individual needs it's easier usually if everyone takes the same approach but that doesn't really work for our kids So when we actually start to break it down, I've noticed that there is three groups that most kids will fit into one of these groups. And the largest group is the, I'm just going to call them group number one. Now this is the group of kids that are really quite happy to go. They're excited. If you ask them if they're nervous, they look at you like you're a little bit like, why are you even asking me that? You know, they're excited. Maybe they've seen their siblings go off to kinder or school already. They've got their head around what to expect. They kind of know what it's going to be like. Maybe they're naturally quite extroverted anyway. They find it easy to go into a space, make friends quickly and just start playing. So they don't feel too, there might still be some moments of tears at the thought of saying goodbye, but mostly they're pretty excited. Now, for this group of kids, I'm going to give you some tips. 
for managing the transition with them. As you can expect, it's not going to be too complicated. So even for these kids, when they're super excited and everything's feeling pretty smooth, still remember to allow plenty of time in the mornings. So don't wind up rushing. Don't leave it to the last minute to get ready and be getting in the car. The reason for that is because when we rush, we naturally start to get stressed. Our limbic system, the feeling center of our brain, is going to get quite active, as is theirs. Because as we get stressed, our tone changes, therefore they're going to feel more stressed too. Once their limbic system is activated, you're going to make it more likely that you have that they have a tantrum or that they um, start to feel the big feelings because the limbic system is already active so of course now they're stressed it's going to translate into some bigger feelings once you actually arrive at school so you want to give yourselves every opportunity to have a smooth morning that means that means getting up early planning things the night before putting out their school uniform making lunches the night before doing all of that in advance is really going to help you on the day also, if you're feeling calm and relaxed and you've got plenty of time, it's going to help you with this next tip, which is to remember to be playful. Connect with them through play as you're approaching the morning or throughout the morning and then as you're driving or walking to school or kinder and at the actual drop-off. Yeah. So pull yourself out of your own limbic system. <laughs> Stay in your thinking brain where you can be creative and flexible and responsive. In order to do that, it might mean some deep breathing, you know, some anchoring yourself. It might mean talking it out with friends in advance, just managing your own feelings, managing yourself so you can be really emotionally available for them on that day. Also with this group, remember to do the simple things like reminding them about when you'll be back. So how long is the day going to go for? What food are they taking? How many breaks are they going to be? Remember to tell them the basics like what to do if they need to go to the toilet. So sometimes with kids, they can become suddenly anxious and it's hard for them to describe what it is they're worried about. And it can be because we've forgotten to tell them little details like what to do if they need to go to the bathroom. So cover off that stuff with some nice chats on the way there. You know, some reminders. Remember, if you need to go to the bathroom, just ask the teacher. She'll be able to show you where it is. All of those little things. Often we assume that they'll just figure it out or we assume that they already know. But we assume that because, like I said earlier, we've already done it. They've never done this before and it's a big deal. Now, let's move on to our second group of kids. Also, this is, this is still going to be a, a large number of the kids who are, as, a, as they're approaching transitions. Now, this is the kids who are nervous and a bit worried, but also excited. So they're mostly okay. With these kids, it's so important that we remember to take the time to acknowledge and validate their feelings. So we want them to know that it's okay to be nervous and worried. We want them to know that it's valid to feel that way and they're allowed to feel it. They're allowed to have a cry if they need to. And if they have a cry, we're listening. We're not saying to them, look on the bright side or you'll be fine, or I'm sure you'll have a lovely time. There is nothing to worry about. When we say those things, we're saying them, out of reassurance, out of love, we want them to feel better. We want to take away their worry. But what we're accidentally doing is really saying, don't feel the way you feel. Just be positive about it. 
We want them to know that it's okay to be both. There's a time for being positive and looking on the bright side. There's also a time for just feeling your feelings and letting them all out. Often parents get worried about doing this because somewhere in our subconscious, we think that if we say, it's okay that you're nervous, I can understand why you're feeling nervous right now. We kind of worry that if we allow them to feel it, we'll somehow make the feeling bigger. And sometimes it could even feel like we have actually done that because as we say, I wonder if you're a bit nervous or something like that, they might suddenly start to cry and we think, oh my gosh, I've opened Pandora's box. What have I done? <laughs> but you won't, you have not actually made the feeling bigger. What's just happened is they're crying in relief because you have acknowledged what they were feeling and what they couldn't put into words. So you haven't done the wrong thing. You haven't made it bigger and they will experience a wash of relief at having that noticed and having you see their experience. So remember they're allowed to feel the feelings. Resist that temptation to just dismiss how they're feeling, to minimise it, say it's not going to be that bad, there's nothing to worry about, or even to disapprove of their feelings. So to, disapproving of their feelings might, say, might sound like, well, don't give me that, you're making it very difficult for me, you're really making this very stressful, you're going to ruin it if you... You can't go on making a big fuss like that every time you've got something. You put on your brave face, big boys don't cry. All of those things would be disapproving of the feeling. We don't want that for our kids. It's giving, that's giving them the message that they need to shove those feelings right down inside where they're not causing an inconvenience to anyone. That is not an approach that's going to lead to a healthy long-term relationship with their feelings. We want them to feel like they can talk to us and they can express what's going on for them. As part of doing this, it can be really helpful to share your experiences. So share your experiences. If you remember heading off to your first day of school, talk about that. Talk about what you felt. Were you nervous? Were you worried? What helped you? How did you feel on the other side of it? Maybe you can't remember as far back as all the way back to when you started kinder or school, but talk about first times in general. So when you first started uni or when you first started a new job, when you first tried a new sport, how did you feel? How, what helped you and how did you feel when you got to the other side? Also remember to encourage them to think about times where they were nervous about something and they managed to push through the nerves and do it anyway and how did they feel when they got to the other side. So we would call this taking a strengths-based perspective, encouraging them to think about their strengths, encouraging to think, I've done this stuff before, this is what I, I felt nervous, I felt worried, I did it and then I felt so relieved when I afterwards or I felt so happy or it turned out to be so fun. It's asking them to recall the moments that they've done that previously because if they've done it previously, then they know that they can do it again. So help them think of those times where they have overcome challenging situations in the past. You could have that conversation before the day. You might be having it on the way to school. And you can also have that conversation if they're having trouble at the moment of drop-off. If you can just take some time out to sit with them one-on-one -on -one and have a conversation like that, allow them to express how they're feeling, sit with that, and then you will be surprised at how that is the pathway to actually then suddenly it's like a... As they flick a switch and they're just okay to go off. They feel heard and they, they make the choice to go in on their own. That takes some trust. It takes some trust 
to sit with the feelings and wait it out and know that they can do this and that they will do it and that we won't be sitting outside the classroom forever. That's why sometimes we resist that allowing the feeling and the taking the time because we're not trusting, we're afraid and we're not trusting that this process will actually come to fruition, that it will work out. So we've got to put ourselves in a place of trust and know that if we allow the feelings and we listen, they will reach the point where they can do this. And we can remind them, you can do hard things. I know you can because I've seen you do it before. Yep, you can do hard things. They might not be able to remember that in the moment. They might not have that self-belief that they're going to be able to do it. But we can loan that belief to them while they need it. It has a big impact on kids when they hear those words that we know they can do it even if they're not sure right now in this moment. That is a really powerful thing to say to kids. Now also remember throughout this that you're the one setting the tone. Now this is really a challenge especially when you're feeling quite emotional and it's a big day for you too and all of those things and this is a tricky one because I'm saying you set the tone but I also don't to just make you feel like I'm dismissing your feelings either right so what we want to do is make sure that you've acknowledged all your feelings that are coming up in advance journal them out talk them out with a friend tell yourself you are allowed to find this hard you're allowed to feel anxious to feel worried to feel nervous but as you help your child enter the classroom you need to be able to show up with a sense of confidence and positivity yeah a sense that you are feeling strong because you know they are strong and they can do this and that you know that they can now you have already heard me talking about the importance of not dismissing feelings so i trust that you can understand how we balance the two that we can show up and set the tone with that sense of positivity and confidence and that sense that we can do hard things while simultaneously saying it's totally normal to feel nervous or worried or scared or all of those things we don't have to push the feelings down in order to be positive and confident the two can sit side by side now with these kids who fit into this second group you might find that they are okay for you to leave while they're still upset trust your gut instinct if you know that they are actually okay that they're they're a bit worried they're a bit nervous but you know that they're going to be all right once they get into it then pass them preferably from safe adult to safe adult so they go from you to the teacher who hopefully they have already met and so pass them safe adult to safe adult or get them engaged in something that if you can acknowledge those feelings tie an invisible string around their wrist tie get them to tie it to yours remind them of whatever transition object they might have brought from home that might be in their bag Make sure the caregiver who's looking after them knows that it's okay with you if they have a cry. So lead the way. Set the tone with the caregiver by saying, Michael's been feeling pretty sad about coming today. He's feeling a bit worried. But we've talked about how it's okay to be worried and sad and it's normal to feel those things. And so we've talked about them and I've, we've talked about how we know that Michael can do hard things and we think he's going to be okay. And so in that way, you'll set the tone with the other caregiver, the teacher or early childhood educator, kinder teacher, whoever it is. 
and let them know that that's the approach you're taking. Hopefully that will be enough for them to know that we're not shaming this child about how they're feeling. We don't want to be saying things like, you're making it hard for mummy if you cry like that. Oh, put a smile on your face. You know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. We want to be available to, and we want our, the caregiver to be available to hold space for the feelings without guilting the child for the feelings. We want them to know that we don't see this, this behaviour as manipulative Rather, we see underneath the behavior and we're responding to the feelings instead. So as you pass them over, you can say that. You can say what you've talked about with your child and that will set the tone for the person who's taking over from you. And in doing so, your child has the space to learn that they can be comforted from somebody else instead of you and that they will be okay. And for these kids, they will mostly maybe continue to have a cry. And then once they do get engaged with things, they can get on with their day and they will have a really good time. That's probably, I think the first group is probably the majority of kids. That second group is probably a slightly smaller. Not that I've conducted extensive research on this, just my observations. And then we move to move to the third group who are probably the smallest group. Now these are the kids who are more than just nervous. They're nervous and worried and probably quite anxious as well. But most importantly, what's really going on for them is that they actually feel unsafe. So we talked about the limbic system earlier. We talked about the feeling center of the brain and how that's an extremely loud car going up and down the street. We've talked about how the limbic system gets really activated. But for these kids who are feeling really unsafe, it'll go even a step further and they might have actually descended into their brainstem. So they're actually shifting into survival mode. Yep, they're in fight, flight or freeze or they're teetering on the brink between that limbic system and their survival responses. Their nervous system is telling them this isn't safe. Their their amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, Sometimes I call that the guard dog of the brain because its job is to keep them safe. That guard dog, the amygdala, it's taking a good look around and it's going, "Mm, red flags everywhere, this is not safe, eject, eject, get out of this situation, cling on to your parent, this is not all right. They are feeling unsafe and they need help to feel safe. Now, in these instances, it is so easy to focus on the behavior that's right in front of you because the child might be hysterically crying. They might be clinging to you. Then the, the teacher might try to take the child away and they might even hit or kick or bite. And then we get really focused on the behavior and our shame kicks in too and we can become really reactive. So it is so important that we realise that this is not a child who is choosing to act this way. They are not trying to make our life difficult. They are deep in a place of struggle and they're needing our help to feel safe again. So it is imperative that we look underneath that behaviour, we find the feeling and we find the unmet need. The unmet need, so the feeling might be fear, nervousness, worry, anxiety, and underneath that, that unmet need is going to be the the need for safety and the need for connection and the need for regulation of their nervous system. 
So we've got to create the opportunities where we can meet those needs. You will not meet those needs by dumping the child and running. You will not meet those needs by just kind of pushing them in and then waiting a bit and sneaking off while they're not looking. That might seem to work in the moment, but it's going to come back to bite you the next time you try to drop them off. So those things do not work. And this is a challenge because this is where if you're responding to a child who is in this situation, you're going to be sitting outside of the, the one-size-fits-all approach. People are going to be saying to you, just drop them and run. And you're going to know in your gut that that's not going to work for your child. You will be feeling it right now as I'm talking to you, you'll be nodding your head and going, this is us. That that doesn't work for us. And when I say my child, your child's feeling unsafe, you're nodding and going, yeah, I really think that they actually do. And people don't get it. They think they're just being naughty or, or manipulative or something. And that's not it at all. Okay, so we've got to create the opportunity to meet the unmet need. Connection, regulation, safety. So the first step towards doing that, connection, connection to you, connection to you on the way there, connection to you while you're there. Let them hide behind you while they need to. Let them hang on to your hand for as long as you can. Don't shame them for doing so. Just squeeze their hand tighter and say, I know it can get pretty scary, can't it? I see how you're feeling and I know that's okay. I want you to know that things are going to be okay. I want you to know that you are safe. But I also understand that this is really hard. Connection. Now, also, this need for connection and safety means that you're probably going to need to stay. Actually, I'm going to remove the probably. You're going to need to stay until those needs are met and they feel regulated and they feel safe. If you are their number one anchor, you can't disappear on them. You can't sneak off. You can't, you, with this child, you won't be able to leave while they're still upset. And if you do, you might find the next day you can't get them back there again. So stay and only move away in gradual bites as you can. So that's going to mean that at first, now I'm going to describe how I managed my daughter's transition into three-year-old kinder when this was her story. In three-year-old kinder, this was her. She felt deeply unsafe. And so what I did was the first two sessions, I think, I stayed with her in the session. And at first she clung to me and I had to do all of the things kind of with her behind me and then gradually she was felt safe enough to venture from outside you know my legs into engaging on her own and each time she did that I withdrew a little bit further and I gave her the freedom by just backing off and that allowed her to see that she she was still okay she felt safe enough because she could still see where I was but she was also able to experience I'm still safe doing this in this environment by myself and I can let go so I backed off as much as I could. Then it got to the point where she would go outside and I stayed inside. Now, I think so. I think two sessions of doing that. Then we started, what I did was I went to the back room in the next session. So I dropped her off. I spent a little bit of time. Then I backed away. The more engaged she became. I part, also, I should say, we passed her safe adult to safe adult. So I encouraged her to hold the teacher's hand, do a job with the teacher, which really helped. So, you know, the teacher giving her a task, can you help me with this? <laughs> which really helps kids find their place in the room, especially if they're that more introverted child and it's hard for them just to find their place in the room. 
giving them a person and a job to do can help give them that sense of direction and purpose and a sense that they belong there so um, then I so I went into the back room I think two or three sessions I sat in the back room of the kinder for the whole session and I'm pretty sure the kinder teachers thought that this was <clears throat> a little bit I just don't think they'd ever had a parent do that before but I was quite happy it was only three hours I was happy to stay there and it gave my daughter the experience of attending kinder not being able to see me but she felt okay about it because she knew that I was still there she knew that I was in the back room waiting for her she knew she could ask for me at any time but she didn't then we were able to transition to her going and me leaving the building it, that process took a lot of trust. It took a lot of trust to know that it would work. It took a lot of trust to be the odd one out. It took a lot of trust to do something different to what the kinder teachers had seen before <laughs> and to know that I wouldn't be sitting in the back room forever. But I trusted and it paid off. She was able to go on her own independently and feel really confident about it and it set her up better for the next year and then also for this year. Now... So we've talked about the need for connection and the need for safety and that they're going to get that from you as that primary person. Back away as soon as you can. Give them the, the chance to experience the fact that they are okay without you and those opportunities will arise. And it's up to you to spot that this is your moment to back away and that you don't have to hover protectively right over the top of them that you've got to take a step back and take as many step backs as you can and trust that the moment will come when you can actually leave altogether. So with these kids, you're going to need to stay until they feel safe. It can also help with these kids to teach them some breathing exercises. So read them some books in advance about um, doing those deep breaths and then on the day you can remind them about those breathing exercises about rainbow breath or the different types of breath that can help them um, and I think I mentioned in there about having that transition object so if you've planned in advance you've got the transition object in their bag something that they can take with them that helps them feel connected to you even when you are gone that can be really helpful too now also communication with the school and advocacy is the next thing I want to talk about. When you have a child who is going to feel really unsafe, chances are you know in advance that this might be your child and you know that the transition will be challenging for you. So tell the school that. Make sure they're aware that this is going to be a challenge for this particular child and that they might need to be an individualised approach. And say to them, I appreciate that that might be a challenge for you, um, that you can't really have every single parent doing this, but I'm sure that there won't be that many children needing this level of support. And just be reassured that I will back away as soon as I can. I have no intention of staying at school all day every day for, throughout term. Um, and it's just that I really do know that this is the process I need to follow for my child advocate say this child has individual needs and I'm here to meet them and this is how I'm going to go about that that is really hard something about schools <laughs> especially if we haven't even been back in a school since we were a student it can really trigger us we can find ourselves thinking well, we almost feel like a student again we can feel worried that we're getting in trouble and do the wrong thing and wind up in the principal's office <laughs> so I want to reassure you you're not it's going to be fine the school might be surprised they might act like well they haven't had anyone um, need this before or want to do this slower approach before 
but reassure them that this you have every intention of your child being able to go to school independently and be positive through that experience and that you won't be hovering for any longer than you need to. Um, I have a plan in place with my child's teacher. They, they spotted straight away that she needed that extra level of support and invited me to stay to play with my youngest in the home corner until it was um, my, my daughter is ready for me to go. Now I think because we've we've already communicated they have the trust that I will do that that I won't linger any longer than I need to and I'm not going to exacerbate her nervous feelings by by hovering over her or acting really nervous myself or anything like that. So that is how we help the child who feels unsafe. Help them to regulate through that sense of connection and safety to you get them doing their deep breaths, talk to the school in advance, have the teacher on board with what the child needs, so the need to validate their feelings, the need to normalise those experiences, the need... Actually, actually, I'm going to pause for a moment and say that with this child, with the child who feels really unsafe, we're not just doing those things, we're also going to do all of the things we talked about for group two, the kids who are nervous and worried. And we're also going to do the things we talked about for group one. So these build, yeah, the group two kids get the group two stuff and that group one stuff. And then the group three kids, they get all of the layers and all of those things combined are going to be what helps them navigate this tricky moment. I think that's really important just to acknowledge it's a big deal. It is a big deal for them. And we can manage this in a way that helps them to feel stronger, helps them to feel more connected. It doesn't have to be done in a way that shames them or leaves them feeling isolated or alone or unheard in their feelings and all of those things. Now, I think that's it for me for today. I think I've managed to say all of the things that I wanted to. I really hope that that chat helps you to plan out your approach for the school transition and or if you've already started school and it's been a little bumpy I hope that's given you some ideas about what you will um, be able to put in place. So thank you so much for listening and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thanks again for joining me for Safer Stronger Kids the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what I do, check out my website, saferstrongerkids.com. Follow me on Facebook, Caroline Ellen, Safer Stronger Kids, and Instagram, at Safer Stronger. Can't wait to talk to you again next time.